Luke 24, 47, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. And then Acts 1, 8, one of the last things he ever says is, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, to all nations. And you see the same thing from the Old Testament prophets over and over and over. They speak of God's heart for all nations. Yet Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, appears to have had no clue. I mean, you get here in, 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 in Acts 10, verse 34, and he, he's finally saying, I understand. I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And if you were to skip down to Acts 11, verse 1 through 3, uh, Peter, he goes to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, uh, these people ask what he'd been doing. And they find out that he's been hanging out with these Gentiles, which Jews weren't supposed to do. So they thought. And they begin to criticize Peter. And it's crazy what you see. Even though the Old Testament prophets and Jesus himself had clearly, clearly communicated that God's mission was not just to redeem Israel, but all nations. And even though Jesus had clearly communicated that a Christian's number one responsibility is to take the gospel to all nations, the Christians in Jerusalem criticized Peter saying, dude, we are not called to take the gospel to these people. They jump on Peter for going to these people saying, you're not supposed to do that and neither are we. And something, something I hear over and over in conversations about world missions, whether it's teaching like this or just conversations with other people, family, friends, uh, uh, church people, I mean, everybody. It was something that almost always comes up or, or comes up a lot at least is, man, that's awesome. And I have so much respect for, for people who are engaging in world missions. I have so much respect for people that are called to that. But then that part comes where it says, but I'm not called to it. I'm not called to it. Over and over, hear that in conversations. I'm not called to that. I'm not called to that. But, but here's my question. Could it be, could it be that just like these Jewish Christians were wrong to assume that they weren't called to take the gospel to the nations, could it be that all of us American Christians are wrong as well? How in the world can we continue to convince ourselves that we are not called to take the gospel to all nations when that was Jesus' primary message to those who believed in him? And you look, Acts chapter 8 through 11 is a significant, it's a pivotal moment for the early church, specifically what we're seeing here in Acts chapter 10. Pivotal moment for the church because you look, you come into Acts chapter 7 and the gospel has not left Jerusalem yet. But you finish Acts chapter 11 and the gospel has not only left Jerusalem, but it has spread well beyond Jerusalem. I mean, this rapid spread of the gospel has officially turned from a local epidemic into a regional and even worldwide fastly spreading pandemic. How? Well, you look and it's because the people that have been infected with it moved away from Jerusalem. And what's the only way that you can stop a pandemic from spreading? You keep it contained. I mean, you think about smallpox or TB or all these different diseases that people are afraid of. If, if, it, if somebody gets it, what happens? They isolate them. They keep them contained so that it doesn't spread. There's a guy named C.T. Studd. He says, the true, a true religion is like the, small, or is like the smallpox. True religion is like the smallpox. If you get it, you give it to others and it spreads. The only way to stop a pandemic from happening is to keep it contained. The only way to stop the gospel from spreading is to keep it contained. 
Therefore, the absolute worst thing that we can do as the church is sit inside these walls and never leave. The worst thing that we could ever do as a church is convince ourselves that we are not called to go. I'm glad that he was convinced to to go. (laughs) So Peter, after confessing this discovery, goes on to clearly explain the gospel to these people. And look look at what he says next. Verse 42, so, so what happens is after he says what he says in 34 and 35, he goes on to, to very clearly and concisely share the gospel, explain what the gospel is. And in verse 42, he says, it says, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone, listen to that, Peter says, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Again, crazy. Even though Jesus had said over and over and over, I've come for all nations. And even though Peter had even quoted in chapter two, the Old Testament prophet Joel, who says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Even though that had happened, you, you read this and what begins to come out, it's as if when he says this, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's, it's, it's as if he's actually saying it for the first time as though he understands what it means. Everyone. Even though he'd heard this over and over and over, this was the moment when it clicked. And you read that verse, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. What does that sound like to you? I just quoted Joel. Uh, Old Testament prophet. And there's another place in Romans where that same verse in Joel is quoted. Romans chapter 10, uh, verse, verses 12 through 13. Turn, turn there for a second. Romans chapter 10, verse, verse 12 and 13 says this, for there is no difference, no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now you can't read that passage there and not keep going because what he says next is, is huge. He says, but, says, how then, verse 14, how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Now back up for a second. Go back to verse 13, you gotta hear this. It's the same thing that Peter says in Acts chapter 10, verse 43. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 14, how? How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no distinction between Jews and Gentiles, Americans, Asians, Africans, Australians, and Europeans. There's absolutely no distinction. That just came out. I don't know why that came out. There's no distinction, but consider this. There are still over 6,000 unreached people groups. And when I say people groups, that's a nation. Uh, We're not talking about countries defined by geopolitical boundaries. We're talking about nations defined by uh, ethnicity, culture, language. When, when, When you see all nations in scripture, that's what it's referring to, people groups. So consider the fact that there are still over 6,000 plus unreached people groups in this world. And unreached means that less than 2% of their population is a Christian. Consider also the fact that there's still over 3,000 
unreached, unengaged people groups or nations in this world. Unreached, less than 2% are Christian. Unengaged means there's no strategy currently to reach that uh, group of people. There are people literally all over this planet who have never, ever heard the good news. But how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? And how can we preach to them unless we go? And then Paul writes, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Uh, We don't really understand that last part. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It it was a cultural thing. I I think we misunderstand this to think that God likes pretty feet. Girls are like, pedicure party. (laughs) But you have to understand how ironic of a statement this is. Because for their culture, for their time period in which this was written, they pretty much walked everywhere. And they walked everywhere either barefoot or with sandals. They didn't have nice kicks like we got. They didn't have wheels with engines like we have. And because of that, because that's their their mode of transportation, uh, their feet were disgusting. you, You go to a third world country and you might actually be able to get a better picture of this. This summer we took a team to Zimbabwe. And in Zimbabwe, there was a guy that we worked with. His name was Pastor White Kangabwe. And everywhere that we went, we basically got a base camp at his village. And everywhere we went, we walked. And it was very interesting to watch him because, I mean, one, we, we have our packs with us. And so, I mean, I had, literally, we, we'd, we'd go out to another village for a couple days. And, and all of us packed two pairs of shoes. I had my hiking shoes. I had my Chaco sandals. And, uh, and we had changes of clothes. You know, we had other amenities and things. Pastor White, all he had was his shoes, his jeans, his shirt, and then this little briefcase, I think, if I remember right. And in that was some of, the, some of the stuff that we would use in these villages to minister to these people. That's all he had. No change of shoes, no change of clothes. And this was how he got, this was his MO. This is how he lived. And you got to understand, Pastor White, Pastor White, uh, first of all, we get there, and his wife is not in the village. She's gone to another place where there's appropriate medical care for her because she was pregnant and about to have, I don't remember which child it was of theirs, but about to have one of his babies. Uh, his sister was lying on her deathbed. A couple days after we left, uh, his sister passed away. Uh, his son had malaria. And then he had all these other kids at, uh, at his homestead to still take care of. On top of that, he was a pastor of a church that he had planted, very small. Uh, on top of that, he still had to earn some sort of income to support his family. And on top of that, his passion and desire was to see churches planted in these villages around uh, his village in Zimbabwe. And so what he did just constantly was travel from village to village to preach the gospel. In our first hike, we had to hike 10 miles. We weren't planning on hiking. We go show up and, we're, and, and they tell us, you're hiking 10 miles tomorrow. Sweet. So we hike 10 miles and, and they don't have nice paved roads. It's just dirt. And so you watch, I mean, our shoes, if nothing else, I mean, our feet got nasty too. And his shoes, hand-me-downs, were not new, were disgusting. And I don't know if he was wearing socks, but he didn't change socks while we were there. I changed socks while I was there. And my feet were disgusting. So you know his feet were disgusting. And this is the picture that that comes to mind and that was really being referred to when Paul writes, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Because in, in, in Pastor White's culture and in the culture and time period in which this Romans 10 was written, if you're gonna faithfully share the gospel, your feet are gonna be disgusting. 
And so then Paul goes on to say, well, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? Beautiful feet, in other words, are dirty feet. But here's the thing, our feet will never get dirty as long as we continue to tiptoe through life. And so really the big question tonight is this, are are your feet clean or are they dirty? For many of us in this room, the tips of our toes are scuffed up, but our feet aren't dirty at all. We act as as though the the first question that God's gonna ask us when we get to heaven is, let me see your hands, are they clean? Like, did did you not touch the things I told you not to touch? We act like that's the first question he's gonna ask, but I don't think so. I think the first question he's gonna ask is say, let me see your feet. So you're gonna get down, you're gonna stick your feet up in the air. And he's gonna look, and he's gonna begin separating people. He's gonna separate the people with the scuffed up tiptoes away from the people with the dirty feet. And, and hear me, scuffed up tiptoes won't keep you out of heaven. Only lack of faith will keep you out of heaven. The problem is, scuffed up t- tiptoes often are the first sign of a lack of faith in Christ. So are you gonna tiptoe through life or are you gonna finally trust Jesus and run, hop, skip, dance? Are you gonna tiptoe around the edge of the dance floor, hanging up close to the wall, your your safe zone, not making eye contact with these people that wanna dance? Avoiding eye contact with the nations? Or are you gonna let your feet get dirty? And I'll just tell you, I mean, yeah, absolutely. there's reason to be you know, concerned about messing up and making a fool of yourself. It's gonna happen. It happens to me up here frequently. You should be concerned about messing up. You should be concerned about being bad at it because we are. You should be concerned about offending somebody. You know, it's crazy with Pastor White. We're, we're walking back from this, we're on this 10 mile hike back. And I remember just talking to him, asking him questions and I was just blown away by this guy. And, and one of the things he said is, uh, we need you guys here because these people think I'm a laughing stock. They think I'm a joke. They won't listen to me. And we saw that firsthand. Some of the villages we went to, I mean, they literally just laughed at him. And he offended people with preaching the gospel. You, you will offend people. It will be uncomfortable at times. And it's not always that safe. But that's where we get to trust in the promises of God and the gospel. So, so tonight, we're, we're about to tell everybody about the rest of our one to two week mission trips. But here's the thing, tonight the challenge really isn't about committing to a one week mission trip. Uh, tonight is about committing to stop tiptoeing through life and to start running, hopping, skipping, and dancing. My prayer tonight is that for myself uh, and for all of us in this room, we, we would look down at our feet and, and look, are they dirty? If not, why? And let's just stop tiptoeing.